The thing that most people walk away with is, wow, the learners are so engaged. But of course, it's not just the environment that does that. Sitting in behind that is a huge amount of professional learning. And there has to be a program, a professional development program around transition from moving from a more traditional spaces and traditional pedagogy to working in teams. Kia ora from New Zealand and welcome to another episode in our latest podcast series, The Future of Schools. Schools of the Future. <laughs> Where we share insights and learnings from education experts and school leaders on how they're innovating, adapting and leading the way around the world during the pandemic and beyond. This week on the Learning Lab podcast, we have the second part of our interview with former principal of the award-winning Freemans Bay Primary School in New Zealand, now education consultant, Sandra Jenkins. So in this episode, Bill, Sandra shares insights on successfully collaborating with architects to create the school you want and supporting staff transitioning to team teaching. We hope you enjoy. So how do you measure success and has it been successful for you? I mean, what has obviously, you know, from an architectural perspective, you've received numerous accolades yeah. on international awards and it, yeah. I'm interested to know what yeah. that, sort of, that sort of success or recognition feels like yeah. for you. But also, you know, what has the response been from the community and the broader community and and what is, you know, what, how are you measuring success within the school and the pedagogy, yeah. the deliverables? Yeah. So, I mean, you go through the um, the normal kind of like surveys and focus groups and, um, you know, looking for people's responses, like with your community, both with your staff and the, the learners and the parents. So actually this week we've had focus groups and last week we had a survey monkey go uh, you know go out uh, around what um, people feel about the school and what it is that they would want um, you know in terms of next steps and one of the things that I can show you we did a park exercise with our focus group so park is what do you want to preserve um, a is what do you want to add R is what do you want to remove and K is um, what, are you, what are you aware of that's happening in other places and you want to keep out. So, and you can see the sticky notes all up on the, on the charts, you know, saying fabulous environment, stunning, innovative, future focused, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So we definitely get that feedback. But now that we, we actually haven't yet gone through the whole um, post-occupancy evaluation drilling down to the sorts of things that we want, you know, are the spaces really working? Because we've only actually been in them all for a year. <laughs> so now is a good time to do that. And it's particularly is a good, a good time for lots of reasons, besides the fact that we are achieving what it is that we wanted to achieve. And of course, that's iterative. And your teams change, and so, but we're actually um, are going through procurement for our next build. So we've got um, another six or eight classroom spaces that have um, that we're uh, that we're working on now, and we know that we've got um, RTA Studio again. And I've been because I'm retiring at the end of this year. I've been working very hard with the Ministry of Education to get that. Um, 
procurement started so that I can support the board and the community for that next stage. And uh, the fact that we've got the same architects is really you know, going to help with that. So we've got, um, this is under the um, Auckland Roll Growth Programme and so that's what we're that's what we're doing around that. Do you have any advice around successfully partnering and collaborating with an architect on a project like this? I think that you've got to get the right fit. Yeah, you've got to get the right fit that is really um, associated with what it is that um, what it is that are the drivers with that with that school and with 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 the school that they're working with, the fit has to be right, and they have the architects have to have a great understanding around what it is that the um, you know what the the vision of the school is around learning. And uh, then they've got to be able to unpack those ideas. And the school, people like myself, you know, like we're not architects. So we have to, you know, with teachers, we always want to drill down into the detail, <laughs> you know, get the pencil out and draw it ourselves. But actually, that's not our job. We've got to talk about the drivers. Yeah. 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 And, and what part does furniture play in all of this? The fit out is really, really important because, and there needs to be a lot of uh, work done with teachers around spatial literacy and how it is that the furniture uh, would be incorporated in the learning spaces because the same drivers for design being around um, collaboration, flexibility, team building, um, choice, choice of places to work, um, choice of places to learn, um, the thinking of uh, having um, spaces that are for large groups of learners where, that, where you're doing presentations, spaces for workshops where specialised workshops where the teachers are working with the students around their next learning goals and then a variety of spaces for the learners to choose where it is that they're going to be doing their learning based on knowing themselves as a learner. So you've got to be able to have spaces where the learner who works best, learns best on their own can be. You've got to have the fit out for that. You've got to have fit out for learning standing up. You've got to have the fit out for soft furniture. You've got to be able to think about the acoustics. You've got to be able to think about line of sight for the teachers. If you've got three teachers working in a learning zone um, and you've got um, the teachers workshopping with groups, three teachers workshopping or two workshopping and one roving, uh, they've got to be able to have line of sight um, with, with all of the learners but the learners have got to feel that they're that they have the freedom to be able to um, be learning where they want to be learning. Acoustically too, furniture plays a big part in that too because as you've got bit more open spaces and you've got glass and you haven't got surfaces that are you know going to work well for acoustics, um, but the furniture can help with that mm -hmm. and the fit out can help with that. Of course also you want writable surfaces, so that's really um, an important part of the design. You want writable surfaces that are vertical and horizontal and you want to have um, you know like maker spaces so what does that mean in terms of furniture and fit out so 
all of these things are really, really important consideration. And then you've got to be able to think about the possibilities and let the um, teachers once again um, somehow work through what are the opportunities for this space and with in terms of incorporating the furniture, incorporating the fit out, how can that drive multiple opportunities rather than fixed opportunities? Yeah. yeah. So in that respect, were you quite prescriptive about what furniture went in, in terms of your relationship with Moshin, or was that very much a collab collaboration in terms of what furniture went into the spaces? Uh, you obviously had some quite clear ideas about what you wanted to provide in terms of functionality. So in terms of the fit out, I just worked directly with the with Fernware. Mm -hmm. I worked directly with Kerry and uh, we didn't do it all at once. No. Because in terms of the preparation for going into these learning spaces, what happened um, was that we had teachers working in old prefabs and old spaces, which we knocked out walls. And I, I said to the teachers, right, those people that are prepared to throw out their teacher desk, get rid of all their old furniture. Um, we will, we, we will um, fit, it out, fit out those spaces with brand new stuff and you, you can start with um, doing some teen teaching. So there was kind of like a bit of a carrot in the stick stuff, and this went on for about five years. And so teachers, we had a lot of furniture that, it was a mishmash, mm -hmm. but we had a whole lot of furniture that we had already um, purchased over the previous five years. So then when we went into the learning spaces, we actually were able to utilize that furniture the biggest challenge that we had was that you need less is more. It's a less is more thing. And we actually had too much furniture. And we also had some really old stuff that went back to the probably the 1960s and the 1950s. Um, like an old couch that had been in the dental clinic, you know, that the kids had painted. Well, they still wanted to keep that. And so we have a mix of um, generations of furniture. And we've just a year later gone through a um, iterative pro process of re-looking at that and once again me saying to the teachers less is more don't have your spaces too cluttered if we're going to put new furniture in there you've asked for more whiteboard tables you asked for more stand-up tables what's going to go out but the biggest challenge around the furniture has been recycling it getting it you know, like the stuff that we've removed um, and being sustainable and finding homes for it because you use a lot less furniture in those spaces. But those spaces are more comfortable if you have room to move around them. And teachers do like to hoard stuff and they don't like to let stuff go. <laughs> and that's been, a, that's been a bit of a challenge. So obviously you've hosted lots of countries from all over the world yes look yeah, yeah 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 so yeah. just in a nutshell what's the kind of the lasting impression that you want them to take away with them how engaged the learners are that is you know because ILEs, you know, you get that, you know, the naysayers and all the rest of it, you know, how on earth can, how on earth can learners, um, you know, the range of learners all be um, um, engaged in such a space. 
Well, with support with the teachers, um, with them doing inquiry around how to um, how to manage their their program, how to work in teams, and all the rest of it, I think the um, the the thing that most people walk away with is wow, the learners are so engaged. But of course, it's not just the environment that does that. Sitting in behind that is a huge amount of professional learning. And there has to be a program, a professional development program around transition from moving from uh, a more traditional spaces and traditional pedagogy to working in teams. And it's really interesting with the work that's been done um, on future work from the um, research that's come out of the OECD, that one of the um, declining attributes is being able to be relational. In other words, also being able to work in teams. And so we have put a huge amount of resource into building high-performing teams and how to, um, and supporting EQ. And I would say that in terms of supporting teachers and learners moving and staff moving from this space to this space, um, school leaders need to be, boards of trustees, whoever, governors of schools, need to be really strategic in their thinking on how it is that we're going to support our school community to move from here to here. And that, um, that to be very deliberate about um, transition. And when I think about transition, it's not something that happens in six months. It's not something that happens in a year. I think transition is like five years mm -hmm. at least. And ongoing because, you know, teachers are mobile and you've always got new teams coming in. So you really, really need to think about uh, think about how is that transition going to happen and what are you going to put in place so that people feel comfortable with being uncomfortable because when you work in uh, when you work very closely in teams you're not going to have people who are on the same page and problem solving is part of of uh, what you do on a daily basis, and if the and it's the little stuff that'll really get up people's noses. And how are you going to resolve that? How are you going to resource it? How are you going to ensure that the teams um, have got the skill set to work through? issues on how the space is going to be used, on how the curriculum is going to be delivered uh, in, uh, and resolve all the problems that have got to come with that. And, you know, that's, you know, if you were working in the corporate world, you've got an HR team that helps you with that stuff. But in schools, we are the HR team. We've also got to mirror what it is that the, um, is happening for um, the learners in our own practice. Everything is mirrored. And that wraps up our interviews with Sandra. Loads of inspiring and useful information in there. And next time, we continue with Freeman Space School's story with Fernware's design guru, Helen Jones. And from the architect's uh, RTA studios, we have Moshin Massa. 
So yeah, it was, it was wonderful to kind of get the whole picture on how to make the collaborative process successful yeah. from an architect's point of view um, and also discuss some of the unique design elements that went into this award-winning school. Awesome. Um, you know, we've got Board of Trustees, we've got whānau, we've got the school, we've got the principal, the MOE, but um, we're also trying to provide buildings and spaces for the end users at the end of the day. So. So it's, it's very challenging, um, but, but these projects are super rewarding as well, and um, that's why we do it. So thanks for listening. Remember to get in touch if you'd like to be a guest on the Fernware Learning Lab and pass on the pod, share this podcast with your networks. Yes, please do. And until next time, take care. Ka kite anō, cheerio, goodbye from New Zealand.